This program is brought to you with support from the U.S. EPA. We're here to present the EFC Network Podcast. The Environmental Finance Center Network is a partnership of 12 centers serving 10 EPA regions. The EFCN provides training and technical assistance to small water and wastewater systems. This podcast series has been designed to help system personnel improve technical, managerial, and financial capacity of the utilities and communities they serve. Welcome to the Small Water System Technical Assistance Podcast from the Office of Water Programs at Sacramento State. This is Episode 9, Establishing Enforceable Standards for Safe Drinking Water. My name is Rima Danaher, and I'm an instructional technologist for the Office of Water Programs at Sacramento State. I'm speaking today with Samantha. Hi, I'm an Administrative Support Coordinator at the Office of Water Programs, or OWP. We developed this podcast to provide an overview of the drinking water regulations. For more information, please see the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, website at www.epa.gov. Let's start by going over the history of drinking water laws and regulations. Because water is our single most important natural resource, the efforts to protect this resource are vital. Unfortunately, safe water is becoming harder to find, and due to population growth and the related pollution of waters, there are few natural waters left that are safe to drink without treatment of some kind. Water is a universal solvent and, therefore, carries all types of dissolved materials. Water also carries biological life forms that can cause diseases, called pathogenic organisms. According to the Centers for Disease Control, CDC, the top 10 causes of disease outbreaks in U.S. public water systems from 1971 to 2010 were Giardia, Legionella, norovirus, Shigella, Campylobacter, Copper, Salmonella, Hepatitis A, Cryptosporidium, E. coli, excess fluoride. Proper water protection, treatment, and monitoring prevent disease in most water supply systems in the United States. However, many developing regions in the world still experience serious outbreaks of these and other waterborne diseases. One of the cleansing processes in the treatment of safe water is called disinfection. Disinfection is a process designed to kill or inactivate most microorganisms in the water or wastewater. Essentially, all pathogenic disease-causing bacteria, including bacteria, viruses, protozoa, or internal parasites that can cause disease. There are several ways to disinfect, with chlorination being the most frequently used in water and wastewater treatment plants. But don't confuse disinfection with sterilization. Sterilization is the complete destruction of all organisms. Sterilization is not necessary in water treatment and is quite expensive. In the United States, the US EPA sets drinking water standards and ensures their enforcements. All state and local agencies must enforce these standards. The Safe Drinking Water Act, SDWA, and its amendments contain specific maximum allowable levels of substances known to be hazardous to human health. In addition to describing maximum contaminant levels, MCLs, 
these federal drinking water regulations also give detailed instructions on what to do when the MCL for a particular substance is exceeded. The Surface Water Treatment Rule, SWTR, requires disinfection of all surface water supply systems as protection against exposure to viruses, bacteria, and giardia. Let's look at the terms a little more closely. Congress passed the Safe Drinking Water Act, SDWA, in 1974 with amendments in 1986 and 1996 to protect Americans' drinking water quality. Under SDWA, the US EPA has set the standards for drinking water quality and oversees states, localities, and water suppliers who implement those standards. Through the SDWA, all public water systems, PWSs, in the United States follow the standards and regulations set by the EPA. The EPA has regulated maximum contaminant levels, MCLs, or treatment technique requirements for over 90 different contaminants in public drinking water, including microorganisms, disinfectants, disinfections by products, DBPs, inorganic and organic chemicals, and radionuclides. A PWS provides water for human consumption through pipes or other constructed conveyances to at least 15 service connections or serves an average of at least 25 people for at least 60 days a year. A PWS may be publicly or privately owned. There are over 151,000 PWSs in the United States and these water systems are classified according to the number of people they serve the source of their water, and whether they serve the same customer year-round or on an occasional basis. The EPA has defined three types of PWSs. First one is Community Water System, CWS, a PWS that supplies water to the same population year-round. The second one, Non-Transient Non-Community Water Systems, or NTNCWS a PWS that regularly supplies water to at least 25 of the same people at least six months per year. Some examples are schools, factories, office buildings, and hospitals have, that have their own water systems. Third one is Transient Non-Community Water Systems, TNCWS, a PWS that provides water in a place such as a gas station or campground where people do not remain for long periods of time. Two types of regulations are the National Primary Drinking Water Regulations, NPDWR, and National Secondary Drinking Water Regulations, NSDWR. The NPWRs are legally enforceable standards that apply to PWSs. Primary standards protect public health by limiting the level of contaminants in drinking water. The NWDWRs are non-enforceable guidelines regulating contaminants that may cause cosmetic effects such as skin or tooth discoloration, or aesthetic effects such as an unpleasant taste, odor, or color in drinking water. Although the EPA only recommends secondary standards to water systems and does not require systems to comply, states may adopt them as enforceable standards. Through the SDWA, the EPA identifies and lists unregulated contaminants that may require a national drinking water regulation in the future. The EPA periodically publishes 
this contaminant candidate list, CCL, and decides whether to regulate at least five or more contaminants on the list. Regulatory determinations. The EPA uses this list of unregulated contaminants to prioritize research and data collection efforts to help determine if a specific contaminant should be regulated. For more information, visit EPA's Drinking Water Contaminant Candidate List and Regulatory Determinations at https colon forward slash forward slash www.epa.gov forward slash ccl. Let's talk about MCLs or maximum contaminant levels. These are the largest allowable amount of contaminants in drinking water. The MCLs for various water quality indicators are specified in the National Primary Drinking Water Regulations, NPDWRS. The MCLs consider health effects, but also take into consideration the feasibility and cost of analysis and treatment of the regulated MCL. The MCLGs maximum contaminant level goals are health goals based entirely on health effects. They are preliminary standards set but not enforced by EPA. Although often less stringent than the corresponding MCLG, the MCL is set to protect health. In 1989, the EPA introduced the Surface Water Treatment Rule, or SWTR. The 1996 SDWA amendments impose deadlines by which EPA must complete work on several major regulations, including the announcement of an Enhanced Surface Water Treatment Rule, or ESWTR. In 1998, EPA promulgated the Interim Enhanced Surface Water Treatment Rule, or IESWTR, and the Disinfectant Disinfection Byproducts, or D-DBP Rule. The goal of the IESWTR was to increase public protection from illness caused by cryptosporidium. The D DBP rule, which applies to water systems using a disinfectant during treatment, limits the amount of certain potentially harmful disinfection byproducts that may remain in drinking water after treatment. In 2002, the EPA promulgated the Long-Term 1 Enhanced Surface Water Treatment Rule and the Long-Term 2 Enhanced Surface Water Treatment Rule. These primary drinking water regulations require treatment of surface water supplies or groundwater supplies under the direct influence of surface water. The rule builds upon earlier rules to address higher risk public water systems for protection measures beyond those required for previous regulations. The purpose of the rule is to reduce illness linked with cryptosporidium and other pathogenic microorganisms in drinking water. The rule was implemented simultaneously with the Stage 2 Disinfection Byproducts Rule to address concerns about risk trade-offs between pathogens and DBPS. Most small systems are now required to filter their water to comply with the SDWA of 1986 and the SWTR of 1989. The use of slow sound filtration to purify water dates back to 1829. But the two most widely used filtration systems in the U.S. today, high-rate gravity filters and pressure filters, are modifications of the slow sand filtration process and were designed to make the process better, faster, and less expensive. A renewed interest in slow sand filtration developed during the late 1980s 
and a growing number of pilot projects were undertaken to study the process. The driving force behind those efforts was the SDWA and its amendments, in particular the SWTR, which is especially significant for small water supply systems. The rule requires all water systems whose water supply is surface water or groundwater under the influence of surface water to disinfect their water and, under most circumstances, to install filtration equipment. The rule further specifies which filtration methods are acceptable and the turbidity monitoring frequencies and limits. In 1980, it was estimated that almost 2,900 water systems used surface water as a source of supply but did not practice filtration. Approximately 90% of those systems serve populations of fewer than 10,000. The practical result of the SWTR was that most of these small water systems had to begin filtering their source water using one of four modes or methods of water treatment by filtration, conventional, direct, diatomaceous earth, or slow sand. The best mode for a particular community will depend upon the characteristics of the supply water, the daily volume of filtered water required to serve the community, and the cost and availability of qualified operators. Of the four methods of filtration, Slow sand filtration is a simple, cost-effective option for small water systems. Even though the slow sand filtration equipment is relatively simple, design guidelines and cost projections are greatly influenced by local conditions. A qualified engineer should assist in the design of a slow sand facility, and it is strongly recommended that a pilot project be undertaken before construction of a full-scale plant to assess the effectiveness of a slow sand filter operating under actual local conditions. Another water regulation, the lead and copper rule, deals with the corrosivity of water distributed to homes with lead and copper plumbing. Water is tested for lead and copper from the drinking water taps of homes first thing in the morning. The lead and copper rule also requires testing for pH, alkalinity, and the residual of any corrosion applied to water. Lead is a naturally occurring metal that was used regularly in a number of industrial capacities and commonly used in household plumbing materials and water service lines. Lead was used as a component of paint, piping, solder, and brass, and as a gasoline additive until the 1980s. Research has confirmed that lead is highly toxic and the greatest exposure to lead is swallowing or breathing in lead paint chips and dust. Lead is rarely found in source water. Mostly, lead contamination occurs after water has left the treatment plant due to corrosion of plumbing materials. Because water is naturally corrosive, it corrodes the pipes and plumbing through which it passes. Homes built before 1986 are more likely to have lead pipes, fixtures, and solder. However, new homes are also at risk because even legally lead-free plumbing may contain up to 8% lead. Grounding of electrical circuits in homes to water pipes and galvanic action between two dissimilar metals may increase corrosion that could cause lead to leach into the water. Lead is regulated to protect public health by minimizing lead levels in drinking water, primarily by reducing water corrosivity, and to prevent kidney problems, high blood pressure, and delays in physical and mental development in infants and children. 
For more information on the lead and copper rule, see the EPA website link at www.epa.gov forward slash DWREGINFO forward slash lead dash and dash copper dash rule. Today we learned about the history of some of the more prominent drinking water regulations and how they work to improve the delivery of clean, healthy water. The EPA offers information on these and other drinking water regulations at their website at www.epa.gov forward slash D-W-R-G-I-N-F-O. For additional information on the regulatory process, please visit www.epa.gov forward slash SDWA forward slash how dash EPA regulates dash drinking dash water dash contaminants. Drinking water regulations are constantly changing. EPA fact sheets give a nice overview of these changing regulations. To find the EPA drinking water fact sheets, go to the EPA website. For additional information about drinking water regulations and other water topics, check out the OWP website at www.owp.csus.edu. There you'll find out more about water and wastewater treatment-operated training courses, plus cost-efficient solutions for protecting and enhancing water resources, public health, and the environment through training, scientific research, and public education. We'll also post a transcript of this episode and links to the other episodes on small water system operation. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Samantha, for joining me. Thank you. Thank you to all our listeners for tuning into this episode of the EFC Network Podcast, brought to you with support from the U.S. EPA. Be sure to stay tuned for future EFC Network podcast episodes.